Welcome to What in the World, a project initiated by Hungry for Life International. Today's podcast is titled Ukraine Update with Chad, and Jess will be interviewing Chad Martz. So grab your headphones, sit back, relax, and listen as we talk about his trips out east and what the current situation is in Ukraine. Hello, and welcome back to another week of What in the World podcast, where we talk about all things global here at Hungry for Life. Um, Today, we are getting a bit of an update from Ukraine and what's happening with Chad and Mary. So it's really late for Chad. So thanks for staying up again to talk. And we will fire through a few questions because I know people have been wanting to know how you guys are doing and what ministry has been like for you guys. So first of all, hello. Hello, Jessica. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, Chad. Um, Yeah, so we haven't been doing the lives every other week, but I think there's enough information to do a whole podcast on filling people in on what's been happening over the last, I I would say, month. It's probably been a month since we've gotten a, a, a good update from you guys. So first of all, I told you I'd save the how are you for the end, so I won't ask you right now. Um, what's it been like day to day there right now? What's been the general feel? Uh, the general feel is, I would say people are starting to get a little bit used to what life is um, living in a, in a, a war zone, I would say. It's uh, not that it's gotten any easier by any means. We have a lot of people who are returning. I think it's close to 3 million Ukrainians have started to return. Uh, but people are are learning to, to, to live because right at the very beginning, you just didn't know how quickly Russia was going to be occupying different parts of the territory, how quickly it would be for them before they were at your front door, essentially. And now people, um, yeah, I think people are just getting a little bit more used to, to what it is. And it's been very difficult for a lot of refugees to be living in other countries and other cultures uh, and just really wanting to go home. Uh, even if it's dangerous to do so. And uh, there are still multiple missile attacks every single day. Uh, air alarms are going off every day. Um, and so the, the dangers are still there, but uh, a lot of people want to return uh, and are learning what it is to to live, yeah, like I said, during, um, during this time of war. So when people, you're saying people are returning, you don't mean conflict zones, do you? You or are some people going back to homes in conflict zones as well? Yeah, yeah. Like some some mayors um, ask for residents not to return, uh, and uh, but some of these areas in the country have been liberated. So, for example, Russia never took over Kiev, uh, but they still continue to fire rockets uh, at the capital. Um, but so, so people have started to return there and there's still the risk of that. And there's people who are returning to the east side of the country. For example, we have the refugee who stays right beside us. She went back to her home in the east to see how things were because it was not occupied. Uh, but uh, a rocket hit not too far away from where she was. So she, obviously she, she left uh, right away. Um, and so we do have more people that are going back to seeing how their, their places are um, for those who uh, want to see if, if it's been damaged, um, whatever it might be. So you do have people who are returning to live that are close to the conflict zones. You're having people return to seeing how their, their, their homes are doing. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's just really hard to live away from your, your home. And so 
um, it's driving more and more people to, to go back, even if it is closer to the conflict zones. Um, and so, yeah, people are still willing to take that risk to go back to live in their own place. And where were most of these refugees? Where, did where they, they are located? Most of the people who are returning are from like the, the Kiev area and in and around it. That's where most people are, are returning to. There are some liberated uh, cities in the, the east, um, but a lot of places, uh, once Ukraine, if they if they liberate them, there's nothing left because Russia is using, using more of a scorched earth tactic where it's just destroy everything in their past. So there are cities that still um, are habitable and they're still trying to get their services. So for example, in the Kharkiv area, people had been living for close to three months, actually it was three months in the, the subway system um, because they didn't want to leave anywhere. They didn't have anywhere to go. They just lived in the subway system, Whoa. Uh, thousands of people. And so the, the city had been trying to get the transportation up and running. So they needed to have them um, placed in, a, in another area so that they can start providing services within the cities so that people can start returning to it. However, because the, the war is so fluid, it's so hard to say. Russia advances in some places, they get pushed back in other places. They get into artillery range and they can fire upon the cities with artillery. Um, so it's it's so fluid here uh, with the, where is being attacked, where is it safer to go to. So mm. yeah, it, it's it, day to day, it, it differs. So um, these refugees are, had they crossed the border and are they coming back into or were they just uh, kind of settling west? Were they in Hungary? Yeah, were both. they in, okay. Yeah, so a lot more because they're the ones that are registered that, that leave the country that's come back into the country was it was about two or three million that have come back into the country from, from Europe. And then, of course, the refugees who have or inter internally displaced people from the east coming here Yes, have returned uh, returned home. So we're actually last week was the first week that we have no no refugees with us, uh, and so that just kind of gives you a little bit of a an idea that people are trying to start to return home or trying to find other options for uh, themselves to to live. But our home actually we don't have any anybody in it as of right now, which is a little bit weird. My wife and yeah. child and I actually shared a a lunch together um and i don't remember doing that since the war started it was just us three does that feel weird it felt um yeah it felt weird but it felt good just to be able to have some personal time because you have to take them when they they come now it's not to mean that we haven't had our opportunities where we're just by ourselves but really our our place is packed all the time for any of the HFL staff that's come to visit or to, to be here to help out, they, they can, they've experienced it. It's, it's a constant. So mm -hmm. today we actually got to enjoy a lunch together, which was, uh, which was great. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm happy yeah. for you three that you finally got a moment. Those dang HFL <laughs> staff, they all just want to come and see you guys. And you know, you're the boss. You can tell them no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I could tell them no. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, can you, be, I mean, you kind of did touch on this already, but I know a lot of people are asking what, um, like, what's the context of where, what's happening in Russia, or sorry, Ukraine with the Russians? Like, um, you said they're advancing in some areas and then pulling back. Like, where exactly is the war at? 
it seems from our our end like like not a bit at a standstill but like obviously not um as in they're not advancing so can you shed some light on that yeah so russia is taking like an approach like death by a thousand cuts so they um they they throw a lot of their military personnel in and do slow advancements, but it's it's a great cost to both the Russian military and the Ukrainian military. So they they are advancing, but if you want to take the the scope of how much they've taken in terms of the country, I think there was a report that came out that that you that Russia occupies twenty percent of Ukraine. It's a little bit misleading in the sense that in 2014, they took over parts of the East and Crimea, which was about 15%. So during the overall, um, over 100 days, they've actually only advanced about five five or 6% of the, the country since the, the war started um, over 100 days ago. So the, the biggest fighting is in the East right now. And uh, that's the... The, what seems to be the goal is um, to capture the, the two, what we would call provinces. Uh, in, in Canada, we call them provinces. They want to capture all of those provinces for right now. Uh, and, uh, and so, yes, Ukraine is holding them off. Some places they've been able to counterattack and to push them back, which is great. But Russians are advancing more than what Ukraine is pushing back at this stage. That's not counting where Ukraine was able to push Russia out of uh, Kiev uh, and their area there and push them right out of the north. Um, but Russia, yes, is advancing, unfortunately, more than what Ukraine is able to push back. We just don't have the weapons to um, to be able to fight this, this type of battle that's currently happening. So I know you guys have done um, quite a few more trips since the last time we've talked. And I know you have quite a few stories. Can you shed a bit of light on uh, a, where have you been? And B, what are some stories that you've come across that you might be willing to share? Yeah, we've, we've wanted to take the opportunity since it slowed down in terms of the amount of um, trucks receiving from the European Union into our Western warehouse. And uh, I think it's a part of a question about whether some of the difficulties, but we, and I'll share about what those are, but we have moved more of our operation to the central part of the country in terms of warehousing and getting uh, oh, okay. food supplies out into different parts of the country from there. Uh, and so what this has given Mary and I is a, um, a bit more time to go and see things for ourselves because it is so fluid. So for example, uh, we traveled to one of the regions that's close to the front line, one of the main cities um, that's in the south part of the, the country between Odessa and Kherson. And uh, about 50% of the, the entire city is left, and there's not a whole lot of children remaining there. But we wanted to go and see um, these places ourselves, but not just see it, but to also be a part of the partners who we've been working with and provide them encouragement. You got for, for listeners, you gotta understand, people have been staying like, we're in the West here. Um, we haven't, we've only had two attacks in our province as opposed to uh, like hundreds of attacks in, in these provinces closer to where Russia's occupying. So our partners are under a lot of stress. They've stayed in these areas. They've continued to be the, the head of the spear and we wanted to go and be a part with them to distribute food to people. So we can also see it ourselves, um, but also to encourage our partners that we're along with them and to bring that sort of encouragement. And so 
yes, we have gone to the you know far east where uh, it's been about eight kilometers from the Russian border that we we went to. We are in the south part where we are in the major city that's next to where Russia has the the closest city occupied. Just to, uh, well, it's not next door, but the next major city is there. And then up north, we've continued to travel into formerly occupied areas. So we continue to we we want to continue to to get out and to to be a part of the distributions and encourage people who are receiving it and, and also encourage those who have been doing this since the beginning of the the war going into some of these higher conflict areas so and you don't have to go into it but i think it's important for our listeners to understand the travesty and the devastation and um you know like we hear it when staff come back, we hear of a few different stories now and then, and um, it's devastating. Like there's, there's nothing that we can, we we just can't put ourselves in in their shoes. And um, I think it's important for us to to shed light on that, to keep the fire going under our butts here. Um, like, what are some of the things that the Ukrainians have experienced? Um, under under Russian occupation, like obviously houses being pillaged and bombed. Um, what else can you shed some light on? You you can't you can't walk down a street in in these areas and not have somebody who's been dramatically affected. So I can even give you our most recent trip um, into a formerly occupied territory where there's a lady standing at a bus a bus stop, and we we just came by to ask her for directions because a lot of the signs are still taken down from when Russia was uh, here. And uh, we said we would just give her a ride and she just shares how she was able to actually um, flee um, the the area under fire from, from Russians and crawling through, through, um, uh, through fields and villages and, and finally being able to get out and not eating for a few days. So that's just person we picked up and then traveling to the church where the mass burials were um, from where Ukrainians uh, were tortured and killed. And uh, we went to the church there that had this mass burial and went upstairs and looked at the photos of, of this place, the ones that you've seen on TV, because it's from, you know, Bucha. And in the corner of this church is uh, three people who are singing. And uh, it's just because the acoustics are so um, amazing there. They, they came there to sing. And so... Uh, we just asked them, you know, where they're from, and they shared with us that they were actually in a group, and there's only three of them left. Their bass player was was killed, and uh, the rest of the group was able to flee into Europe, and they just came there to sing because that's all they have to do to try to keep their own morale up. You go then into the next community over, and it's actually not an impoverished area. It's like near a lake, but the houses are just completely destroyed. And you go and visit the one family that's still there and they're sheepish and they're embarrassed and they're being, and they're, they're hurting almost because they're, their their house is the only one that has not been destroyed. And every house around them has been just torched to the ground, but yet they've got rockets that went right through their house and into their kitchen. And lots of their places has been destroyed, but they're even feeling guilty because their neighbors have, uh, don't share the same fate. You have the guy that we walked to that his house is completely gone and he's uh, like, he's just beside himself. Like, where do you start? He built it with his own hands. 
for 15 years. He built it, he saved, he built it with his own hands and it's gone in one second. And then on, on, on our way out from these communities, we're stopping into a poor one and you just stop there and there's, uh, it's a pretty typical one where you have babushkas or, you know, grandmas sitting on the benches and it's a pretty typical sign here. You would find it in any village and we stop by and we start talking to them and they start coming out and now they start sharing their stories. They're under occupation. 250 tanks came through their village. The, the babushka showed us the bullet wound through her arm and was shot through this, by the side of her head. Um, another um, lady was, um, I don't know if they're sharing it here, but her, her husband was killed in front of her and then raped and she hasn't come out of her house since. And so you, you start going through all these ladies' stories and it's one after the other, after the other, after the other. And they just caught a Russian, um, uh, a Russian military in one of the basins because they have not all been able to flee. They've actually been hiding. And so one week ago in this village, they were actually found a Russian soldier hiding out in one of these houses that had been destroyed. So the, the threats are still there. You have this inc incredible amount of pain and suffering. Um, I mean, it, even if I give you the example of the, the refugees who left from our house, like they're, they're from the far, they're from the east. This, this girl who was staying here, she was a, an orphan and was adopted at the age of two. And her mother um, passed away and then was readopted again. Um, on the 24th, whatever day it was that Russia invaded, they were, her and her um, boyfriend were going to be married, but because of the invasion, they couldn't. And so um, a few weeks later, um, they, the father-in-law said, you know what, as he's fighting on the front lines, you need to get out because Russia's coming through this way here, you need to get out. So she originally was on the, the eastern side of Donetsk, which in 2014 came under attack, so she fled from that. Then she was on the Ukrainian side, and now she had to flee again and came all the way over to our house and uh, they didn't know anybody they just uh, showed up um, to our place they had like i think i mentioned before they had like a frozen chicken and some macaroni and that's all they had with them plus their dog um but they gave that to us as a gift and they ended up staying with us for for two months and uh, before we left on one of our trips she came downstairs crying um, and we asked what happened she said the only place that we had our apartment in this eastern part of the country was hit by a rocket and it's completely destroyed so the anything that they had left material wise that they left was just completely gone we came back from the trip we came outside they were here going out on a walk and she's very emotional and we asked her what what had happened she said that Russians had um, occupied an area where her friend uh, lives, and she just uh, found out that her friend had been raped multiple times by Russian soldiers, and this is her own friend, and this is the horrors that you're, you're dealing with. And um, they finally get a break where um, they found some work up in, in, in Kiev area, and so they, they, they were going to be moving up there. So we just helped them for the first month of their, their rent, but the, the day... Uh, that they were to leave their dog that they had brought with them died and so the day that uh, they're going to leave their dog passed away so they buried him in our backyard headed up to, to Kiev and uh, got settled in there for two days and that's when a rocket attack hit just not too far from them so you there's when you ask like what's the current situation here it's it's traumatic um, 
for so many people. Um, but like I said, we're, they're learning to live with it, but are going to have to have years and years and years to process what what they have gone through. And the thing is, you never know if Russia is going to be coming back through the areas where some of the people who have been freed from. So yes, it's it's a very tense and still difficult, difficult time here. So what does that do for, where does that put you and Mary and, and the rest of your family? Like you guys have been running this sprint now turned into like you're running at a sprint's pace, but you're running a marathon. Like how are you guys managing and, and with all, all that you have seen, all that you have heard, all you are carrying, like, um, how does that translate into the ministry and what you guys are doing and how you're able to sustain that? Well, I mean, it's it's God-driven. How do we take it? Uh, that's like a probably a mixed response on how we, we take it and apply it. Uh, in terms of like motivation, yeah, it's you every trip you go on, every person that comes through, it just continues to fuel the fire to do the only thing that we know in terms of how do you how do you combat this incredibly disgusting evil? I mean, I, I don't have the right words to describe it, or maybe even the Christian words to describe mm-hmm. the things that are happening here, but. The only way that we know how to best combat is with the good that we can do and to try to bring encouragement and to try to bear some of the burdens for people. And I didn't realize that that was such a a pretty big component to most of the places that we're going to or how freely people are willing to share their traumatic experience with you and just sit there with you for 10, 20, 30 minutes. They just want to share and they, they thank you for bearing some of the burden with you, even though I get to come home to a house that hasn't been blown up. And yet they're they're in that exact situation. So how do you deal with it? You, you continue to press. Um, yeah, you continue to press forward. There has been a, a change in terms of uh, organization. So for, for us, we were able to hit the ground running the very day that this, this happened, and we've been able to keep this pace going this entire time. We are finding that there are, are a lot more organizations that are able to now finally get their um, their systems, their networks, their food supplies into some of these major areas. So what we're doing is is we're not having to, to get out as much food supplies to those same areas because we're finding a lot of organizations are going into that. So strategically, we discuss it um, and we don't need to double up in areas where there's other ones. So it's great. We're actually so excited that there's other organizations that are going out there and doing that. Yeah, but in awesome. some of the areas, yeah, some of the areas, um, people who are not able to get reached because they can't necessarily come to a distribution center, or some of the elderly or the disabled or, um, and so we're looking at more of that. And again, in, into the conflict zones, because there's still not a lot of organizations that are going directly into the conflict zones um, because of how dangerous uh, it is. And so we are focusing uh, a lot more of our effort on that. However, even from our last trip after doing that food distribution, our partners received a call and, and the week before they were like, no, we're doing pretty good. We haven't received a whole lot of calls. And on the way back from our distribution, they received a call that 200 refugees were going to be coming to a small community that's already caring for 60. And because of how fluid, how I was mentioning, how fluid the the war is, people, the Ukrainian army is trying to remove and get as many civilians out as they can because that prohibits Ukrainians from fighting fully uh, in in response to what what Russia is doing. And so 
when you get a large amount of people coming and you could barely care for 60 refugees in itself and they're calling you, uh, we need a lot of food, blank, and supplies. Okay, well, it just turned so quickly that a week ago we didn't need to bring in. Well, now we need to send a, a like a 20-foot or 40-foot truck up to them full of supplies so that they have access to it. So it's always it's always moving all the time, but our main focus is getting into the hard, hard, difficult areas um, right now. Cool. You already answered my next question, which was how has implementation changed or evolved, I should say. And that's, I'm really happy to hear that there's more organizations who are able to um, get in and bring aid. And and um, so you guys don't feel like the lone soldiers out there and you're able to focus on areas where other people can't reach. So that's, that's really cool. Um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges these days? That's a, there's a multiple, but recently it's been the, the fuel shortages in the country so when the war first broke out uh they're actually so so gas was actually quite difficult to to get at the very beginning but diesel wasn't much of an issue and at the very beginning because we 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 anticipated that we would run out of fuel right away so we we purchased a large quantity of, of fuel and had it stored here uh, and so we we ran out of that surplus of fuel probably about a, a month ago, but that's also when diesel um, started becoming really complicated to, to get. Russia had targeted our four um, different major depots of, of fuel, and with the, the blockage of the Black Sea, uh, typically Ukraine would get tankers in uh, to Odessa, but they can't do so. So the only way to get it now is through European Union, but it's been taking a long time to replenish. So we've had to be very creative in terms of uh, getting fuel and having enough fuel um, for the different vehicles, which is why we moved also our primarily our um, uh, our major warehouse is now more out of the central part of the country. So we don't okay. have to utilize as much fuel, plus the factories and warehouses that we are purchasing more of the mass quantities is, is that. Give you another example too, which another difficulty, uh, commodities uh, like food, um, supplies, uh, they could be easy to get at one stage and then the next week it's it's like really difficult or very expensive. For example, we purchased 20 tons of um, salt and within a week, uh, so let's say we purchase it for like 50 cents a kilogram for salt and uh, but within the, that week, um, Russia bombed the uh, factory that, that produced it in the east. And so actually the place, the, the, the factory that we purchased it from called us back to ask if they could purchase back the salt at double the price. And we were starting to get a lot of calls to buy back the, did I say rice? It was supposed to be salt. No, you, um, I think to you purchase, said salt. Yeah, to purchase back salt. And um, I mean, we didn't do it because salt's a, a, a major, um, preservative for for people and so we kept it but this this is how like at one stage something can be very um easy to to get and then at the next stage it's not and so you're always having to adapt you're always having to adjust um and so yeah that's that's some of the major difficulties right now is is the fuel situation within the country so what what do you mean by creative ways what kind of creative ways have you gotten fuel 
So we, we've had transportation vehicles come in from, from Holland bringing uh, food supplies. But what we've asked them to do is to fill up on the Hungarian side. So when they came across, we had this um, large drum, about a thousand liter. And so what we did is that we took like 600 liters of fuel from the truck. And so when it goes back to the Hungarian side, it can fill itself back up and then go to, to Holland. And then we can utilize that fuel for the vehicles that need it for on our side to, to get it to, across the country. So that's, that's how we've been doing it. And then obviously we have different connections with um, gas stations and uh, people around the country um, that also have stored up fuel for their businesses that we have access to. Uh, so these are some of the creative ways that we've been able to kind of overcome this one issue, which, I mean, if we were looking at all the issues together, there's been a lot of things that we've overcome, but this is more of the current one. How tired is everyone feeling these days? Like, is everyone, you know, I feel like for the first little while, uh, adrenaline, so to speak, will take you so far, but like I'm, I'm speaking in the the whole the sense of all the ukrainians like i know you guys are exceptionally tired as well but like is the mood of everybody just like so tired so done or is it still like hey like let's rally let's fight let's like what is it yeah so there's there's like probably three different parts there's like military there's civilians and then how we're how we're feeling let's go through Um, all three yeah, so military depends on where you're where you're talking um, to, and we've we have a lot of our, our connections are within the military as well too. So we're receiving direct information on how people are doing and how they're doing, uh, and yeah, in some areas they're they're quite um, encouraged because they've been able to repel Russian troops. In other areas, they're quite discouraged because they don't have the weapons to be able to do the things that they want to do. There are a lot of deaths. Um, there's a, there's, yeah, the, the type of warfare that's happening right now, which is a lot more open field and artillery and tank mm-hmm. fighting is required is it's costing a lot of lives on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. So it, you're, you're having a lot more funerals in the communities here, I mean, daily. Um, and so it's, it's yeah, it's heart wrenching. It's heart wrenching when you have somebody who volunteers, who's got two young kids, who's fighting in the front lines, and then you're having a funeral for them in the community, and this is happening you know, all the time. So yes, it's weighing on people. Um, people who are outside the country are tired of being outside the country and want to come back. We experience it with our own family members, uh, which is why you're seeing people come back in droves. Um, so. Are they, is the resolve still there to fight? Absolutely. I mean, the the continued atrocities that are, are happening here in this country, this, this unified effort within the civilian population, those who are volunteering, those who are providing aid, those who are providing uh, military service on the front line. Yeah, it's, it's unified. Um, I mean, they'll fight with sticks, they'll fight with, it doesn't matter. This is, there's no, there's no exit for for people. There's only death or living under Russian rule. Mm. Um, and so there's not a whole lot of options. Like myself, I can leave. You know, our partners who are here, who are who are men who have their families in Europe, they can't leave. This is this is it for them. There's there's no other options. And so, yeah, overall, pe- there 
people are tired, they're exhausted, our partners are exhausted, but you learn to live within that exhaustion because you don't, there's no other choice. There's no like taking the foot off the, the gas pedal here. It's life and death stuff that's happening. And so you just learn to live within the exhaustion that's, that's here and you take those breaks when you can, like we did for lunch today, like you take them and you, um, you're grateful for those times, but, uh, yeah, it's, you, you just learn. <laughs> yeah. You just learn to live within the craziness that's, that's here. That's exhausting. How are yeah, you? It's not the same. It's not the same for like Mary and I, since the first two months of the war, you just, that's not a sustainable, like, mm -hmm like sleeping two three hours like you just can't keep going with it but we don't have as many responsibilities on the home front in terms of refugees coming through our door and us trying to get them into to europe or finding other places for them we were able to to be a little bit more focused on our our efforts uh and so um it hasn't been as extreme as it was in the first uh, two months so that's good doesn't mean that we're not busy every day you know it's like it's 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 every day um and uh there's always things that you, you need to be able to do but you just learn to live within it what would be the best way that people i ask you this every time because i don't know if it changes but what would be the best way for people to support um two sides one specifically you and mary and tatiana and two uh the ministry as a whole I, I don't I don't take like encouragements uh, um, like lightly. Encouragements to us are great. Dropping a note, dropping a message over Facebook, Instagram, whatever email. Um, those those are actually quite appreciative. Um, it's uh, it's encouraging to hear people who are still willing to encourage us in that way obviously prayer we we need it we're making decisions all the time that are quite complicated decisions and um so i'm not trying to give just a stock answer but that's the reality of it we we need we need the prayer to continue to sustain and for wisdom on how to best utilize the resources that we do have here and to the areas that that need it the most and so that would be another uh an encouragement though because I don't see what's going on in, in media wise, like from, from my responsibilities. I mean, I haven't done any media for, for quite some time and that's totally fine, but that, that also shows me that it's, uh, it's kind of taken the down, it's on the downward for, for sure in terms of in front of people. And I understand we've been doing this for 18 years and that's just the reality of the situation with how media works. Mm -hmm. And so uh, how can people support It's just don't, don't, don't think that uh, because it's not in the news that it's not happening anymore. It's happening exactly what was going on in the first parts. But I, I've actually been encouraged too by just hearing different fundraisers that have been happening, ones that we don't even know how they even got a hold of us or knew of us. And after 100 plus days of war where people are pretty tired on, on the North American side hearing about it, people are still doing it, golf tournaments and um yeah, just, just different events that people are, are, are doing. Um, schools are still doing it. I think there's a school nearby there in, in Chilliwack at uh, one of the middle schools um, that, that raised, and people are still doing, whether it's like $400, whether it's $40,000. It's encouraging to know that people are still 
um, actively uh, um, helping and standing with Ukraine. I know the slogan is always was like uh, stand with stand Ukraine, with but Ukraine. it needs to be, yeah, it needs to be standing. Like it needs to be mm -hmm. constant, um, not just the beginning part of it, because um, this war is very real and it, and it continues to happen. And um, we need everything that we can. And that, that was such a, a, a cool thing, though. Well, actually, I think you're probably going to get to that question. But one of the cool things was is that people, when they find out where they're from, because the people who travel, they're like, this person's from Canada. They are doing this. They, they know that they would not be where they are in the terms of being able to defend the country that they, way they, they have been without the support from, from Europe, from Canada, from the U.S., and so there, we're constantly being thanked on behalf of Ukrainians to people in in the West, um, to to helping Ukrainians defend um, their their families and their homeland. And so that has been a, an encouraging thing, and I hope it encourages others who are listening. Yeah, that's a good point. And and I'll take a moment to shout out to a few fundraisers that are happening uh, very soon. Maybe it will be passed by the time we post this, but uh, Western Tractor in Alberta, they're, they're hosting Fry Day, as in like French fries. So like anyone who donates gets two bags of French fries, which is kind of cool. So, um, and they just sent us an email this morning saying that one donor donated $20,000, which is so cool. Um, and then I know that there's uh, the Chillac Jets are doing a golf tournament. So... Guys, if you're listening, that's amazing. We we thank you, and um, it's not lost on us for sure. This is this is a big deal, and we really appreciate any support that is coming our way. Um, and yeah, I mean, Chad, my last question for you was, what's been the biggest blessing? Um, but you kind of answered that. No, my last question for you was going to be, <laughs> how are you guys? But yeah. I mean, I don't want to overwhelm you with that question. Answer it how you will, and we'll leave it at that. But how are you guys? Yeah, I was hoping you'd kind of dive, you'd maybe uh, figure out the question. But, we can. Uh, we can if you want not. to. <laughs> I thought maybe after all the questions, if you forget the last one, it's, <laughs> it really is day by day. Um, some days can be like not bad. Like today's wasn't, uh, when I say not bad, like, you, you get through it and you're okay. And some days you, you're, I think Mary's said it before, you, you're just choking on all the pain and suffering that's that's in the country. Um, so yeah, it is it is daily. So when you're asking like, how are you doing? It's um, like, we're continuing to press ahead. Um, sometimes are harder than others. Lots of times when we come back from, from trips and distribution trips, yeah, it, it sparks up things within you that you really need to deal with in terms of like the anger and the rage that you that you're feeling and you're needing to process the the things that you see and um yeah you're I mean you're bringing a bag of, of food and items for people um but you're not coming with a roof to repair a roof for them like and and uh, so you you're dealing with yes you're bringing encouragement to them you're bringing a bag of food but here they have no they have no house left and uh, they're living in a garage or um, you're, you're just dealing with the overwhelming need that's there that you can't, uh, you can't fulfill. And, uh, and so a lot of those, yeah, it's encouraging, but on the other sense, it's like, I, I can't believe what people have and continue to go through. Cause this is not a past tense thing. This is not a, 
yeah, there's there's people who have gone through this over the last three months, and this is still happening in in the east and southern parts of the the country. So it's um, I for myself, I I just want to do everything that we can to to win this war. To me, it's so um, it's I don't I don't know. I'm trying to be careful with my words. It's so enraging. And, Give her. Uh, Have at her. Um, yeah, you <laughs> let her fly. I, I, I can't. I'm I'm so I'm like very competitive in nature, in, in like sport and anything like that. And in sport that I would play, I'm a very intense individual, but that's that's one thing. You, you you're playing like this sport to to win and you're playing the sport to win for your your teammates. This is this this like level um of like intensity is is nothing that I've experienced before and I've had to be very careful um you know not to not to go over the line in the sense that it's all consuming um you, you know you're, you're in sport maybe you're thinking through how you could done better you're, you're preparing for it for like a week to play this game and you're it's consuming you you're getting prepared for it or whatever but here it's like um it's just in my nature, I, I am trying it to not all consume me because there's other things that I need to making sure that I do. I need to make sure that I'm still a father to my daughter who's experiencing some of these things, that I'm still a husband to my wife who's going through some really complicated and difficult things and bearing the brunt of a lot of the stuff that's happening here. Um, because it was very, it's, it's easy for me to just get locked into doing, um, as much as we possibly can to fight this incredible evil. And so I'm trying to strike a, a good balance as a family. Yes, we're, we're doing, we're doing all right. All considering we're a hundred plus days in, in a crisis war area, but, um, yeah, I, I am just burning, <laughs> I, I am burning. That's also another way reason why I want to go with the partners who are going right to the front lines. I I I want to be there um, to to be a part of the the good that's that's fighting this incredible evil. And so I'm not one to to sit around um, if I have an opportunity to go out. So how am I doing? I I I struggle because we're watching every day. I struggle when you see Russians advance. I struggle when um, you hear that sometimes the military is a little bit, um, uh, maybe their morale is not doing so good. So you want, you're trying to do everything you have to, to contribute to it um, because it's costing this country an amount that I, I, I don't know if you can put a value on it with the amount of lives and hardships and separations and hunger and um, these atrocities that are happening. I, I can't describe it, but it, what is it for if, if they can't have their their freedom to live in their own place um, in their their own home in their own country with their own thoughts um, that they can express what is it uh, for and so yeah during this 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 is an opportunity to continue to share Jesus Christ to people through what we're we're doing and and so I wanted to I want to go where it's um, where people are, are struggling i want to go into those high danger areas because not because i want to put my life in danger because i want to go where people have not had the encouragement of people to go to them to provide for them so yeah i'm just kind of going on a little bit more but yes it's a it's a very intense um time that i have to kind of push myself back on because uh um 
I, I want this. I want to have this war won for Ukraine uh, so desperately. Like I, I don't know how to best describe it, but I want I want the country to to win and for yeah. Some I'll probably just leave it at that for right now. <laughs> well, thank you for answering that question, and thank you for being honest about that because it like I like I mean I know I know your competitive nature from just being back in the office and stuff. And I think that that's actually a gift from God that you, he's gifted you with not only that, but a very strategic thinking brain. And um, he's placed you where he needs you right now. And so, yeah, I, I, I get that, like the angst and the, the desire to, to push through. Um, but I think that, I don't know what I think about that, but it's God has gifted you with with that very strategic brain of yours. And so I understand why you're constantly thinking about how to better implement and how to win this. And uh, I would hate to play against you in a sports team. That's all I would say. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Chad, thank you for taking the time to talk again. It's, it's two o'clock here, so it's midnight there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm getting yeah. good at the quick time. That's okay. I, I'm still working the Canadian hours for oh, HFL stuff. Go to so. bed. You know, we're fine here. <laughs> we're fine. Eventually I will. I've not been able to stay up uh, like I was in the very beginning. I'm just starting to run out of a little bit of steam, and I've added uh, two. Instead of one cup of coffee, I'm up to two cups of coffee during the day to keep the momentum going. Hey, that's it. That's but pretty I, good. Yeah, no, it's it's been all right. I've been able to, to maintain it, but... Yeah, it, it fluctuates, and that's why I think prayer, even if we're doing good today, tomorrow, we could get some really difficult news. So mm-hmm. even if people who feel prompted at a certain time to pray for us don't uh, don't squelch that prompting, please do so, because it could be very much the time where we very much need it or make, needing to make a, a pretty big decision on something. So I know if it's not daily, uh, that's that's totally cool, but if you feel the prompting to, to pray for us, I, 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 yeah, we would appreciate you. Um, everyone doing that for us so yeah cool okay well i'll I'll let you go thanks again and see you later that's a wrap bye jess thanks for listening to what in the world where we seek to educate and inspire here at hungry for life we are passionate about your group having a global impact in eradicating needless suffering for more information head over to our website at hungryforlife.org and you can find us on facebook instagram youtube and wherever you may listen to podcasts Tune in every other week for another conversation about what is happening at Hungry for Life.